It was certainly a disappointing weekend of baseball in Cincinnati for the Orioles as they dropped two out of three to the lowly Cincinnati Reds to drop back to 500 on the season. What does it mean for their playoff chances? And could that series change the Orioles' outlook at Tuesday's deadline? We'll get to all that recapping the weekend series coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, August 1st, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap a tough, tough weekend of baseball for the Orioles. They dropped two out of three in Cincinnati against the Reds over the weekend, dropping back down to an even 500 on the year. And it started, you know, a nine-game stretch where the Orioles are playing three bad teams, not the way they wanted it to start, losing two out of three. But I'll get you my three big takeaways from a rough weekend of Orioles baseball coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is presented by Vroom. With Vroom, you can buy a car entirely online and have it delivered straight to you, so you never have to go to a dealership again. So next time you need to buy a car, just grab your phone, go to Vroom.com, and check out thousands of great cars. And before we get to our recap of the weekend, just wanted to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Of course, we're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you could give us a five-star rating and a review on those apps, it really helps out the pod a lot. And of course, we're right here on YouTube. Make sure to go check out the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Hit that red subscribe button, like, and comment on the videos. We're getting closer and closer to 1,000 subscribers here on the YouTube channel. And even if you don't watch on YouTube, even if you're just a purely audio listener, you can just head over to YouTube and just click that red subscribe button. Doesn't change your life at all. No annoying notifications. All it does is help me bring you even better content here on Locked on Orioles. And of course, as we get into August here, no matter what happened this weekend, it is August 1st and the Orioles are in the thick of a playoff chase. So if you're getting back into Orioles baseball, make sure to subscribe here to Locked on Orioles. Tell your friends, you know, all your friends and family members who are just now jumping back into watching the Orioles for the first time in five years. I know I have plenty of those. Tell them to check out the podcast. And I got to thank you, the listener. July of 2022 was the biggest month in terms of listenership and viewership in Locked on Orioles podcast history, and that is all thanks to you, the listener. So again, thanks for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, a recap of a disappointing, a little embarrassing, kind of detrimental weekend for the Orioles in Cincinnati as the O's dropped two out of three to the lowly, deep in the rebuild Cincinnati Reds dropped to 500 on the season. Now, it started on a little more positive note. The Orioles did win the Friday game 6-2, scoring four runs in the top of the ninth inning. And I would say that was a solid start to the weekend. They didn't play their best, but they got a win. And then Saturday was kind of their first blowout loss, it feels like, in a while. I mean, even the 6-0 loss to the Yankees last Sunday, I feel like the O's were at least in that game. But Cincinnati beat them 8-2 Saturday, and then 
the crushing defeat, losing 3-2 to two on Sunday with Felix Bautista, who hadn't given up a hit in his last eight appearances, giving up the go-ahead solo homer with two outs and two strikes to Brandon Drury in the bottom of the eighth. And the Reds win it 3-2 to two to take the series. And again, the O's drop to 51-51 and 51 with the series loss. They got a little bit of help still from other teams. So they're still just three games out of the final wildcard spot, three games behind the Rays, and they are three and a half games behind the Mariners, who are, you know, just sit barely above Tampa Bay for the second wildcard spot. Now they're still in it. Cleveland and Chicago both ahead of them, and the Red Sox right there as well in the wildcard race. But my first big takeaway from the weekend is what everyone's been talking about from this Orioles weekend. And it was the huge problem for the O's is the Orioles offense just went silent this weekend. And if you take out what the O's did in the top of the ninth inning in Friday's win, I mean, it's like the offense wasn't even there in this three-game series. Yes, Friday's ninth inning was cool. Tied it to Orioles get four in the ninth. You know, they, they explode against the Cincinnati bullpen. But that was really it. The Orioles had 10 runs on 21 hits in the three games this weekend and went a combined three for 21 with runners in scoring position over the weekend. I mean, you think about most of the runs, you know, Santander with his two-run homer to tie the game on Friday. Didn't come with a runner in scoring position. You think about, you know, the the two runs they scored on Sunday. Neither came on a hit with a runner in scoring position. Just one of the two in the first inning Saturday did. This is an offense that's looking like the April Orioles. The April version of the Orioles is way worse than any other version of the Orioles, obviously, we've seen all year. And it was because that team couldn't hit, and especially just could not buy a hit with a runner in scoring position. They were putting up, like, legendary bad numbers with runners in scoring position, and that's kind of what the O's have done lately. I mean, the Orioles are playing, I'll say, solid baseball. They're 5-5. Five and five. They're 500 since the All-Star break, and they're 500 on the season. But 3.9 runs per game since the All-Star break, I mean, you have to go back to July 13th, last time the Orioles have scored more than six runs in a game, and now six runs is a good output, but the O's haven't really poured it on to somebody in a really long time, and that's because the offense just isn't really coming through. You got Cedric Mullins with a one for nine. Now, you know, some guys had some big hits. At least his one hit was big. His one hit was the biggest of the weekend, probably, for the Orioles. The two-run single in the top of the ninth that broke the tie and gave the Orioles a 4-2 to lead on Friday, but, you know, that was his only hit. You had Ramon Arias going with a one for eight, kind of, you know, finishing a little slowly to what was a just incredible July at the plate for Arias. And then you've got, you know, Trey Mancini had a couple of hits and, you know, Austin Hayes struggled. He was two for 11 with four Ks on the weekend. But, I mean, really the the biggest issue right here with this Orioles offense is Ryan Mountcastle. And we talked about it after last weekend when the Orioles dropped two out of three against the Yankees. Mountcastle and Mancini went a combined 0 for 21 in that series lost to New York. And I talked about how I was actually more worried about Mancini because Mountcastle was still hitting the ball hard. It looked okay. And, you know, Mancini got to an 0 for 26 before he broke up that streak during the week against Tampa. And he started to swing the bat a little bit better again. But for Mountcastle... He goes one for seven on the weekend. Brandon Hyde actually sits him just to give him a day off in the Saturday loss. He is now three for 34 at the plate since the All-Star break. Three for 34 in his nine games he's played in. 
that's not what you want from Ryan Mountcastle. And you want to talk about what's went wrong. I mean, in general, July has been a rough month for him. He had a 35% chase rate. That's, you know, the rate at which you swing at pitches outside the zone in June. For Ryan Mountcastle, with the batted ball stats he has, you know, he's one of the best hitters in the league in terms of average exit velocity and, and the amount of barrels he gets to and his ability to drive the ball, you know, his launch angle and his distance on the ball when he contacts it. He's got all these, you know, these hard hit percentages up there, you know, the top 30 or 40 in baseball. He's got all these numbers when he hits the ball that are elite. But his issue when he struggled in his career is too much swing and miss and specifically chasing too many pitches outside the zone. Now, he had gotten that down in June. That's why he was raking. Well, his chase rate jumped from 35 to 48% in the month of July. That's not what you want. If you're swinging at just shy of 50% of the pitches that are outside the strike zone that you see, that's not a recipe to get hits and get extra base hits and help your team. Think about how crazy that number is. 48%. He's basically swinging at half the pitches that he sees that are out of the strike zone. I mean, you have to be dominant on pitches inside the strike zone to even put that together into a solid season. That's why he's three for 34. And obviously, he's going to break out of this slump. His batted ball numbers, all we've seen from him in his career at the plate, has been too good for this slump to continue this badly. I mean, three for 34, that's really, really bad. But if he's chasing at this rate, his numbers might get a little better but you can only be so good with a 48% chase rate. If you can get it back down into the 30s, he can mash again. But this is a concerning number for a whole month. And hopefully he can kind of get the right mindset again, get back into that approach that has helped him all year with the walks being up and get back to mashing in the middle of the Oriole order because you know nobody's really red hot right now except for one hitter that we'll get to. And so you need your steady presences like Ryan Mountcastle to be hitting enough and he's not hitting at all. And that was certainly apparent in the Orioles' losses this weekend. But as I said, you know, there were really two hitters who at least did get the job done for the Orioles this weekend. One was Adley Rutschman, who continued to just get on base and get on base. Set a Orioles rookie record with nine consecutive games getting on base at least two times. It was snapped on Sunday. But the other guy who's really just carrying the entire Orioles' offense on his back right now is Anthony Santander. And coming up next, we'll talk about Santander's great weekend, really his great last couple of weeks, what that means as the trade deadline approaches on Tuesday. But first, let's talk about LinkedIn Talent Solutions, because you may know LinkedIn as the place to find a job, but LinkedIn is also the place to post your job as well. And as you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. And they've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free 
at linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So we're talking Orioles and Reds here on this Monday episode of the pod. Three big takeaways from a tough series loss for the Orioles against a bad team over the weekend. Now I will say the Reds have played spoiler to pretty much every team in the AL East so far this season. The Reds are now eight and four against the AL East, the best division in baseball with all five teams fighting for a playoff spot right now. So, you know, that's pretty good for the Reds. They started 3-21. and 21. They've at least played a lot better baseball after tearing down their entire team this offseason. So you have to give them that. But you would still like the Orioles to win a series when they absolutely need it. But for the O's, they do lose two of three. And it does raise a little bit more questions about what the Orioles will do by Tuesday's trade deadline. But if you do want to make sure you're on top of all the moves the Orioles and other teams make, During the trade deadline, again, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen every day. But MLB trade deadline is August 2nd, and Locked on MLB has all the breakdowns. So make Locked on MLB your second listen of the day. And of course, right here on Locked on Orioles, we'll have rapid reactions to any move that is made. So subscribe now to Locked on Orioles, to Locked on MLB on YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast, so you get notified when each episode premieres. And you can check out all the trade deadline analysis here on the Locked On Orioles podcast. But speaking of the trade deadline, you know, Anthony Santander is certainly a name that has been floated out there about potentially being moved by the Orioles, though he hasn't come up in a lot of rumors recently. So it does kind of feel like, at least at this point, that if I had to guess, Santander stays an Oriole. Now that could change, but his value has probably never been higher because Anthony Santander is just mashing mashing the baseball right now. And as I said before the break, he was basically the one hitter that was carrying the Orioles throughout this weekend in Cincinnati. Overall in the three games, he goes 7 for 12 with two homers, four RBIs, no walks, but only one strikeout on the weekend. And he had big hit after big hit. Of course, you go back to Friday. Orioles are just getting baffled by Mike Miner. Old lefty Mike Miner throwing 89, just baffling the Orioles through five innings. Santander comes up with a runner on in the sixth. The Orioles down 2-0. Boom. Change up, blasted in the left field seats for a two-run homer to tie the game. Orioles eventually hold that 2-2 game, get four in the ninth, and, and get the one win on Friday. Then you go to Sunday. The Orioles just trying to scratch and claw back into a game where they haven't been hitting. Santander up, nobody on, one out in the eighth, Orioles down 2-1, to boom, smashes a ball into the seats deep in right center field for a solo homer to tie the game. Both his homers tied the game in the sixth inning or later. Now, you really would have hoped the O's could have won that Sunday game. They did not, but still, big hits from Santander. And he's been huge for the Orioles. Now, this is just facts. You know, they announced that Santander and Keegan Aiken got vaccinated last Sunday. Santander 12 for 27 with three homers, that's a 444 average since getting vaccinated. And overall, he's got an 11-game hitting streak going right now. This dates back to before the All-Star break, game two of that Tampa Bay series at the trap right before the break. On this 11-game hitting streak, Santander 17 for 43. That's a 395 average in that stretch with 15 hard-hit balls in that 11-game span. And in July... He's been fantastic. A 316 average in July, 369 on base, 547 
Slugging percentage, that's a 916 OPS with seven doubles, five homers, and 17 RBIs. Santander's best offensive month of the year came in July, dominated, and was hitting from both sides of the plate as well. And, you know, we know his defense is a little suspect, whether he's in left or right field defensively for the Orioles. It's, it's gotten worse over the past couple of years, and he doesn't exactly run well. But he is hitting the ball. And this leads to a really interesting question for the Orioles, because Santander is still under team control through 2024. So even after this season, he has two more years on his initial contract. And he's hitting great. He's having a career year. His walk rates are up. He's hitting for more power. He's got 19 home runs, which leads the Orioles. What do the O's do with him? Because on the flip side of that, even this great season he's having, it's still not like he's elevated to elite player or all-star player or anything like that. He's a really good piece to have in your lineup. But on a good team, he's your number six hitter, probably. You feel like a pretty solid number six hitter to have on a playoff team, maybe a number seven hitter. But he's hitting right in the middle, you know, third or fourth for the Orioles every single day. And as we know, the Orioles have Kyle Stowers, Rearing and ready to go in AAA. He's ready for the big leagues. We saw him briefly in Toronto earlier this year. He's He's got nothing else to prove in AAA. He can slot in immediately in Santander's position. And I think the Orioles think long-term, Kyle Stowers is going to be a better hitter and a better player overall because he's better defensively than Anthony Santander. But you have Santander controlled for two and a half more years. So the question becomes, you know, what would it take to get him from the O's? Because again, this is the highest value he's ever had in his major league career. I think another team would very much like to get a hitter like that for two and a half years who's swinging the hottest bat of his career. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Santander is dealt. Maybe he's a, you know, I'd like to see him if they do deal and be a package for a controllable young starting pitcher, but we'll see if the Orioles do that. But they're just in a really interesting spot with him. But at the end of the day, whether he gets traded or not, he's keeping this Orioles offense at least afloat. I mean, if he doesn't hit that homer against Mike Miner on Friday, who knows if the O's ever get it going against Miner? I mean, his pitch count was low. He stays in the game. Maybe the Orioles lose Friday. Maybe they get swept by the Reds in this series. And as bad as it looks to lose this series to the Reds, if they would have gotten swept, you're under 500 again. You're coming off three losses to a really bad baseball team. Things are looking much, much worse if Santander doesn't do what he did over the weekend. I'm kind of split on what I would like to see the O's do, because I do think Kyle Stowers will be good, and the Orioles have a lot of good outfielders coming behind him, and they still have Hayes and and Mullins out there. But if Santander's going to produce like this, if you trade him tomorrow, you're taking the hottest hitter right out of your lineup, and I get they'll be able to replace him immediately by Stowers, but Kyle Stowers is going to go through some growing pains through the rest of this year, and he's certainly not going to be as productive through the rest of this year as Santander would be. So I'm... I think I'm on team keep Santander at least for the rest of this year and then maybe reevaluate in the offseason, but he's swinging it so well unless you get an unbelievable package or you can trade him for a controllable starting pitcher. I keep him in this lineup because he's the only guy hitting right now, and the Orioles need that because, as we said, the offense, it's been a little tough to watch. But, you know, if they did trade him, Kyle Stowers could be a reinforcement. But speaking of reinforcements, the Orioles got one this weekend in the one game that they did win, and that was Kyle Bradish, who really, truly pitched well in his return to the Orioles rotation on Friday. And coming up next, we'll break down that Kyle Bradish start and talk about what his role is going to look like and how important he could be to the Orioles 
down the stretch of this playoff chase. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net, your one-stop shop for all your sports betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events on the number one online source for odds, for lines, and for games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, and then you got the NFL coming up, of course, the NBA and the NHL. Season's coming sooner than you think. They got combat sports, esports, even golf every weekend as well. And Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering info from live in game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today at betonline.net, where the game starts. So the Orioles dropped two out of three to the Cincinnati Reds over the weekend. But as we've said, you know, at least there was some good things that happened in Friday's 6-2 win that started the series. The O's get the big homer from Santander. They get the four runs in the ninth. Little skirmish happens in the ninth after Santander's hit by a pitch. Even though that game started off really poorly with the Orioles not being able to hit Mike Miner and Kyle Bradish giving up Kind of a not-so-hard-hit two-run homer to Joey Votto in the first inning. Kyle Bradish settled down, kept the O's in the game, kept the score where it was, let the offense finally get going, and the Orioles won that game. And honestly, it was huge for the Orioles to get Kyle Bradish back on Friday. They activated him off the injured list on Friday, pitching for the first time since June 18th when he went on the injured list with shoulder inflammation. So, Missed about six weeks from this Oriole rotation. And the look at the Oriole rotation, the performance of the Oriole rotation has changed a lot since Bradish last pitched in it. But he came back and I would say probably through his second best start of the year. Now, nothing's going to top what he did in St. Louis back in May when he struck out 11, did not walk anyone over seven innings of work, allowing two runs against the Cardinals. But this one Friday was pretty good. Bradish five innings, allowing just two runs on five hits, strikes out seven does not walk anyone. And again, the only two runs he allows come in the first inning. And he got the first two outs, and then there was a fly ball to left field that Austin Hayes misplayed and probably should have been an out. Instead, it becomes a double. And then the next batter, Joey Votto, hits a two-run homer to right field. But to be honest with you, kind of a cheapy home run. Didn't even hit it hard. 93.5 miles per hour off the bat. Doesn't even consider it hard hit. 373 feet but only a 110 expected batting average on that home run from Joey Votto. So didn't exactly get all of it, and Bradish said as much after the game. But then you look at what Bradish did over his next four scoreless innings to keep the O's in it, and I was very, very impressed. Listen, his command was not pinpoint, but it was his first start back coming off of a shoulder injury, and I really did like what I saw. He only allowed three hard hit balls in those five innings, he got 12 whiffs on 36 swings, five on the four-seamer, four on the slider, and three on the curveball. And the curveball was really interesting because he only threw nine curveballs, and he got three whiffs on that pitch. Now, he was heavy fastball. It was 53% fastballs, 31% sliders, and then 11% curveballs. Again, he threw nine of them, and then 5% changeups. He tossed in four changeups for good measure on the day. And the fastball velo was what it had been all year. But interestingly enough, all three of his other pitches, velocity was up one to two miles per hour on his average. So he was throwing everything else a little bit harder, including a couple of 89 mile per hour sliders he threw in there. Yearly, you know, he's been throwing on about 86. But those breaking pitches, 
It's a high spin rate. He's able to throw him for strikes. He throws him for swing and misses. And listen, it was 25 sliders to nine curveballs. He clearly likes that slider way more than the curve. But I think both of those pitches are plus breaking pitches. He gets whiffs on both of them. And if he can combo those two pitches with a high-velocity fastball that is not the greatest pitch in the world, again, it sits 94-95. He'll max out at 97 with the fastball. But that fastball is the pitch that has kind of been crushed all year. But he threw it in the zone on Friday. He had 10 called strikes, plus he got five whiffs on that fastball. It was one of his better fastball days. And so at the end of the day, yeah, he had one of the worst fastballs in baseball before he got injured. That pitch was getting crushed. But I think we could see him start to throw a little bit less fastballs. And again, he was at 53% fastballs. If we could get him down to like 40 or 45% fastballs, throw more breaking balls. You know, he got crushed in his last couple of starts before getting injured. Six runs on 11 hits, four and a third against the Rays. And then five runs on nine hits, four and a third against Toronto. That was his last two starts before the injury. He looked like a different pitcher, and I get the Reds' offense is nowhere close to what an offense like Toronto looks like. But still, they got some good hitters in that lineup. Bradish made him look silly. Didn't allow a lot of hard contact. Got a lot of swings and misses. I'm really high on Kyle Bradish. I've, I've made that point many times, especially earlier this year when he was healthy and, and was first called up. I think, now I don't think he's a future ace, but I think he's a future really good middle-of-the-rotation starter for the Orioles. And that swing and miss stuff we saw could be huge for the O's down the stretch because the mean's still out. No Grayson Rodriguez. Who knows when we're seeing D.L. Hall. And now you got Tyler Wells on the injured list for not the rest of the season, but it could be an extended amount of time. You know, hearing for Brandon Hyde talk about it this weekend, maybe at least a month without Tyler Wells, who's been your best starter, you are going to need Kyle Bradish. And for now, he's filling right into Wells' role with, frankly, better stuff at the peak level. And I think at his best, he can look like what we saw Friday and what we saw in St. Louis a couple months ago. And if the O's have that, they definitely have another weapon in this starting rotation that really needs one because the rotation's starting to to falter a little bit over the last couple of weeks. But if Bradish can come in and and kind of stabilize it a little bit, and I'm not saying he's going to be stabilizing things because when he went on the IL, he had a 7.38 ERA. It's not like he was dominating and then got injured. He had a couple good starts and had some really bad starts and then got injured. But I think he's much more the pitcher we saw Friday where, yeah, the pitch count might get up and he might not be able to get through seven or eight innings. But he's going to give you five or six really, really great innings at times. And I think he's more the pitcher like that than the pitcher we saw right before the injury that keeps getting hit. Because as he'll learn, yes, his fastball is high velocity, but his slider and his curveball is where he's going to make his money. And he can really help the O's with those two pitches. I was very impressed Friday, and I'm very high on what Kyle Bradish can do moving forward. And he's going to get a start again, already slated to start the Wednesday game in Texas. And that's what's up next for the Orioles. Another game's against losing ball club. A Texas Rangers team that the Orioles swept in a three-game series back in early July at Camden Yards. Well, the O's will head to Texas tonight for a three-game series starting tonight, an 8 o'clock start for game one. Spencer Watkins goes for the Orioles, and John Gray, the ace, goes for the Rangers. The O's look to get back over 500 on the season, and they're just trying to beat some bad teams. After losing the series this weekend, the Orioles are now a combined 3-9 and nine against the Athletics, Reds, Tigers, and Nationals this season. Those are arguably the four worst teams in baseball. Orioles, they combined 3-9 and nine against those teams. 
Hopefully they start to turn it back around against bad teams and a bad team they've beaten in the Texas Rangers. But as we saw in that last Rangers series, anything can happen when these two teams get together. So should be entertaining. And then I'll be back together with you here tomorrow on the podcast for a Tuesday episode, recapping game one between the Orioles and the Rangers, getting you the five things you need to know from that one. And then, of course, if the Orioles make a trade, we'll talk about it. And we'll take, if they don't make a trade, we'll take a closer look at what they still could do because the trade deadline is 6 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. It's coming up quickly. And what else is coming up quickly is another episode of the pod coming up tomorrow. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.